If you will, open up your copy of God's Word. We're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. Today we are concluding this series of Who's Your One? And I've entitled this, A Life Well Lived. And each and every one of us, I think at the uh, end of our lives, we want to say we lived a, a well-lived life. And in our culture today, a life well-lived is, is normally characterized by health, wealth, and prosperity. And I don't believe that there is anything inherently wrong with those things, but I do believe a truly well-lived life will be one lived on mission for Jesus Christ and leaves a heritage of faith uh, for others to look toward as a model of a life well lived. I don't think God is against those things. I think he's against them when they become our idols. Or they become what we worship. Jesus is the one we worship. Many people are blessed uh, to be able to have those things. But if not, we are to glorify God with the things he does bless us with. And we can see some people throughout history by cultural standards had a well lived life, life at least for a a number of their years, and we can see some people throughout history uh, by biblical standards that in their final moments on this side of death lived their lives well. They went on to glory, leaving behind them a life worth modeling, a life worth glorifying, a life worth speaking of. But what kind of life will you leave behind? What kind of life will you leave behind? Are, are you living life well? Are you living life well, are you pursuing Christ or are you pursuing your own promotion? Are you living a life where self is primarily what you are about? And we are in a culture where it's all about self. You got selfies, you got self motivation, you got self worth. Everything's about self. It's a culture of self when really it's about a culture of selflessness, is what Christ calls us to. And today, as we are looking at this passage of Scripture, specifically in this passage, we're looking at one of the apostles whose name was Andrew. And we're going to be looking at Andrew, who was selfless, but was vital to the work of the kingdom and to the work of Christ Jesus, even while he was on the earth. It wasn't just a later down the road kind of usefulness. It was a there in the moment and beyond. And that's the way we need to be as well. We need some Andrews in our church. We need some Andrews in our church who are not about self-promotion and they are selfless but vital to the work of the kingdom. So if you have your copy of God's Word, John chapter 1 verses 35 through 42, you read along in your copy of God's Word. It will be on the screen. But it begins there in verse 35. Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. That's John the Baptist, it is. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when, when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw <laughs> where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. Now verse 40 is, is kind of where we're going to be. One of the two who heard John speak, saying that this is, behold, the Lamb of God, and followed him, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, talking about looking at Peter, he said, You are Simon, or Simon at the time, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now just a few things I want to point out from this passage of Scripture that we look at today. In my Bible, it is entitled the first disciples. These are the first disciples that God calls, that Jesus calls unto himself to serve him. And we see this here. Uh, like I said, John the baptizer, he was the forerunner for Christ. He was preparing the way uh, so that when people come, the Jews or uh, Gentiles, they were able to receive the word of Christ. He was softening the hearts. He was preparing the way. And, uh, but we see Andrew here amongst the disciples of John the baptizer. And Peter's brother Andrew, he's the least of the first four disciples. Now you may say, there's nobody least in the kingdom of God. Well, you just look at who's listed. It's Andrew, uh, Andrew John, James, and John are normally the three innermost circle. But Andrew was pretty close there as well. Peter, James, and John. Excuse me, Peter, James, and John. And Andrew's the fourth. I said that wrong. But he's the fourth of the inner circle. And Andrew ordinarily is left very much in the background. He's not really talked about very often, and that's okay. And we will learn, too, that he was used by our Lord to touch thousands. Thousands Andrew was used. Homer Lindsay uh, referred to Andrew as the inviter or as the bringer or introducer. Had Andrew never been born, the New Testament could have been changed significantly. Peter may have never been saved. Someone else would have preached the famous Pentecost sermon. We would eliminate two books of the New Testament, first and second Peter. Only heaven knows what else would have been left out of the Bible in church history had not there been an Andrew. Andrew was the first of all the disciples to be called. We see that in uh, John 1, 35-40. His eagerness to follow Christ, combined with his zeal for introducing others to Christ, fairly typifies Andrew's character. Now just think about this. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Certainly Andrew was the least conspicuous. Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about him. It really doesn't. He appears in the New Testament only nine times. Nine times is a, is a very few amount of times to be mentioned if you are an apostle of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And most references simply mention him in passing. Sometimes uh, he, he's even mentioned just as Simon Peter's brother. He lives in the shadow of his brother. Any of y'all ever live in the shadow of your brother or sister, whatever it may be, your older sibling? Yeah, me. My brother's five years older than me. I came up through high school. You know, uh, I couldn't imagine being James, <laughs> your older brother being Jesus. You know, but here's Andrew, the younger brother of Simon Peter. And all through the Bible, it's chronicled that he's the younger brother. I know what that's like. But that's okay because God's used me. God's used you. No matter where you are in the birthing order of your family, God's used you. Just continue to understand that your value is not based on your birth order. Your value is the fact that you were born. And that God loved you and God loves you. And he has a plan for you. And God had a plan for Andrew. You know, Andrew's name, it means manly. Did you know that? The name Andrew means manly. He was a strong fisherman. 
His life proved him to be bold, decisive, and deliberate. He was driven by a hearty passion for the truth, and he was willing to subject himself to the most extreme kinds of hardship. Andrew's personal encounter with Jesus took place a few months after Jesus' baptism. That's found in John 1, 29-34. And Andrew and John were standing next to John the Baptist when Jesus walked by, and he heard John the Baptist say, Behold, the Lamb of God. Andrew had been waiting. All Jews have been waiting on the Messiah, on the Lamb of God. So when John the Baptizer, who came first, when, when Andrew heard this, he was like, this is the man. This is who we've been waiting for. This is who was prophesied about all through the Old Testament. This is who Malachi spoke about as well. This is who, this is who we are waiting on. John the Baptizer said, behold, the Lamb of God. In another gospel, he said, I am not worthy to unlace his shoes, the sandals. Not shoes, it's not like he had on Nikes. He said, I could untie his sandals. And so, like, he, he said these things. So, I mean, he was just giving him, he was like boosting him up, saying, this is the man to follow. John, John was selfless in that. He said, I, I'm not the man. I'm not the man. You need to follow who the man is. So, Andrew and John became Jesus' first disciples. The news Andrew heard was too good to keep to himself. So he went and found the one person in the world he loved. He found the one he loved the most and wanted to know Jesus. And he went and found his brother and brought his brother to Christ. We had a gentleman yesterday that in our one day D now, and he shared his testimony and he had a, a pretty rough life. A very rough life. Matter of fact, not pretty rough. A very rough life. But when he finally surrendered his life to Christ, he said, my first goal, well, my first, he said, I made a prayer and salvation hit list of people that I wanted to share the gospel with. He said, number one on my list was my mama. You know, most people, their mamas have been praying for them. I don't know what it would be like to have a mama that was lost without Christ. But he said, the number one person I wanted to reach for, my, uh, reach for Christ was my mama. He said, and my stepdad was violently against me knowing Christ. And, and he was violently against me sharing the gospel. He said, but my mama came to faith in Jesus Christ. It took some time. But she came to faith. And he said, several months later, he said, I was preaching again. He said, and on that back row, he said, I saw my stepdad in the service. And he came down front. He said, I had the privilege of baptizing my mama my stepdad, my grandmother, my grandfather. And he, I don't remember if he said his brother. I don't remember if he said that. But he said his brother was on his list of people too. But he was praying for him. He said, I made a list and I went after him. And I began praying for him. Listen, guys, this is part of, of what I've been trying to encourage you to do. I know you got lost family members. Who are you praying for? Who are you bringing to Jesus? Listen, if it's not a conviction and a burden of our heart, then you, you can hand it out. You, you forget it. If it's not a burden on your heart, who's going to reach them? Who's going to reach them? If we don't get a burden for the lost in this church, if we don't get a burden for the lost, there ain't going to be a whole lot to happen here. But we better get a burden for people that need to come to Jesus. That need to come to Jesus. 
And until we find that burden, until we get that burden, little bit by little bit, each pew is going to get smaller. I mean, the pew is going to get bigger, but the number of people on that pew is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. We got to get a burden for lost people. Andrew had a burden for lost people. He saw the value of individual people. He saw the value of individual people. And we've got to see a value. Every name that's on that board out there, I've got one more name to add. Someone gave that to me this past week. I put it in my pocket. I misplaced it. I've been looking for it. And I can't find it. So there are pushpins out there. So if you, if you turn in a name to me, uh, you can turn into me, or you can push pin it yourself. Go right out this door. There's a, there's a board right out there to be praying for people. But I want to encourage you to do that. Put a name on that card. Tear it off. Put that name on this card. Stick it in your Bible. And as you're reading through your Bible, through these Bible passages, pray for that name. Pray for that person. Let, them, let the Lord know that they are on your heart. I've said it before, I'll say it again. You need to bring the person before the Lord before you bring the Lord to the person. Bring them to the Lord. Pray for them. Lift them up to Christ. Andrew saw the value of individual people. Andrew appreciated the value of a single soul. He was known for bringing individuals, not crowds. You know, there's some people, they're like the Pied Piper of folks, you know. They're out there and they just, they'll just blow their little whistle and all of a sudden people just come a-running. Listen, there ain't many of us out there like that, you know. There's not a whole lot of us like that. So what are we like? We've got somebody we know, one person, two people, three people, we know that we can reach out to and tell them about Jesus. Like I said last week, the church and Jesus, not the same, but if you come to know Jesus, you should come to the church. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is not healthy for you to stay at the house and watch on Facebook, and that's all nice. We're glad you're doing it. We want you to come. If you're healthy enough to come, come. We understand we've got lots of people that have illnesses or they've got sicknesses or things that hinder them from being here. But I'm just going to tell you, if you're sitting at the house and you're watching on your TV or on your phone or on your iPad and you could be here, get up and come. Get up and come. Now, I've talked most of the time that, that camera up there, but I'm telling you, if you're well enough, don't use something that's petty to sit at the house. Don't do it. Because you're going to miss out on fellowship, not just me talking to you. You're going to miss out on fellowship. You're going to miss out on the opportunity of growth. Praise God. We've come up with another way for people to be engaged that we know there are some that cannot come. We've got some that are in nursing homes. I'm not talking against you, so God bless you. Glad you're joining us. But we've got Sunday school. Brother Bill, this morning, we went live through Mark Langston's Facebook page and had the Sunday school lesson on there. So everybody that's watching online, hopefully there's a bunch of you. didn't just tune in for three seconds or ten like it tells me every week. Hopefully you stay for a little while. You can go on Mark Langston's profile and you can join in on Sunday school with Brother Bill's class. So we're going to try to keep doing that week in and week out. So there you go. Give you another opportunity to be engaged while you're not able to be a fellowship in person. 
But he saw that value. Listen, he brought Peter to Jesus. It's just one person. Andrew was the one who brought the boy with his lunch to Jesus. Just one. Andrew was the one who did that. Now, Andrew, he was also referred to as the first home missionary. He was the first home missionary because of the Jewish people he brought to Jesus. And then later on, he was, Andrew had been referred to as the first foreign missionary because of the Greeks he brought to Jesus in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22. Andrew was all about bringing people to Jesus. He was an evangelist, if you will. And he wanted to bring them in. Most people do not come to Christ as an immediate response to a sermon they hear, they, that they hear in a crowded setting. They come to Christ because of the influence of an individual. Because of an individual. Many of you are at this church because an individual invited you to come. Somebody invited you to come at some point in time. Come, be a part of our Sunday school class. Come to this activity with us as we go out and do this or that. It might be even throwing axes. You know what I mean? You come for some reason. It might be going to the skating rink like the kids did a couple of weeks ago. We didn't take the kids throwing axes, okay, just so you know. It was, a, it was a, the young married couples. But um, there's things you can do to invite people to come in and take part. And then you, you have fellowship and unity and, and you allow them to come in and, and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this was Andrew. That's who he was. And all the fruit of Peter's ministry, you know, we talked about just a moment ago how Andrew brought Simon Peter, his brother. All the fruit of Peter's ministry is ultimately also the fruit of Andrew's faithful individual witness. You know, I get so much joy when I talk about students who've come through my youth group. Now, don't get me wrong. Not every student who came through my youth group have turned out to be productive, godly Christian people, okay? I'm just telling you the truth. Just because you come to youth group don't mean that you're going to go out and be a preacher, teacher, small group leader, play an instrument in a band somewhere, or, or something like that. I've had plenty of kids that I pray for still because I know they're on a rough road. They made poor choices, okay? I love them to death. I hate that, that, that they really ain't... Uh, had fruit in their life, as you talked about in Sunday school this morning, about a changed life through Christ. But I am grateful and thankful for the ones that are doing that, that are having fruit in their life. And this, this, this one day D now blessed my heart on many levels. Number one, there was many salvations from children, uh, young people, students. I say children. Uh, but at the same time, half of the people who volunteered had been a part of my youth group at one time. Half of the praise band on the stage, one of the small group leaders, matter of fact, the small group leader that was here, and his dad has told me that most likely he said, I don't really think that he's going to finish college, or if he finishes college with a degree he has, I don't think he's going to put much use to it because I feel like he's going into ministry. And that blessed my heart because he came through the youth group. Now, granted, his dad's a pastor too. It <laughs> helps a little bit when dad's a preacher. But, but, um, but I look and I see these folks and I'm like, man, I just give glory to God. Because the, these young people have come in and they've heard about Jesus and they're going out. I don't want, like I said before, I don't want you to think that the only thing I brag about is, is the good things. Listen, I, I, I love all my kids who've come through my youth groups. And, and, and I wish that the testimony was that every single one of them was productive followers of Christ in their churches. But some of them, I don't even know where they are. 
And that saddens me, but I still love them. And I still pray that God will get a hold of them and save them and redeem them and do something great with them. But I want to tell you this. I have got a story here. If you have ever heard of a guy named Edward Kimball. Any of y'all ever heard of a guy named Edward Kimball? Probably not. But you it may recall, somebody may have told this story one time in the past. He was a Sunday school teacher who led a famous revivalist and preacher and eventual creator of a Bible college, D.L. Moody, to Christ. Now, some of you may have heard of D.L. Moody. Moody Bible Institute, it's in Chicago. D.L. Moody is one of the most known men in, in Christian history in the United States that there is. Edward Kimball went to a Boston shoe store where the 18-year-old Moody was working spoke to him in the stockroom and introduced him to Christ. Kimball was anything but bold. This is just a little bit of a uh, biography, autobiography of his life and a little bit of the story of this encounter. I'm going to read that to you. Kimball was anything but bold. He was a timid, soft-spoken man. He went to that shoe store frightened, trembling, and unaware of whether he had the courage to confront this young man with the gospel. Now, Moody, on the other hand, was crude and obviously illiterate. And Kimball trembled in his boots as he recalled the interaction. Moody had begun to attend his Sunday school class. Moody was untaught and ignorant about the Bible. Kimball said, I decided to speak to Moody about Christ and about his soul. I started downtown to Holton's Shoe Store. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go just then during business hours. And I thought, my mission might embarrass the boy. That when I went away, the other clerks might ask who I was. And when they learned, might taunt Moody and ask if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. While I was pondering over it all, I passed the store without noticing it. Then, when I found I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it. And have at it. And have it over at once. (laughs) Kimball found Moody in the stockroom and spoke to him with what he called limping words. Later he said, I never could remember what I said. Something about Christ and his love, that was all. Kimball admitted it was a weak appeal. But Moody, then and there, gave his heart to Christ. Tens of thousands testified that they came to Christ under Moody's ministry. Moody led C.T. Studd the great pioneer missionary, and William Chapman, who himself became a well-known evangelist to Christ. Moody found the Moody Bible Institute that has trained thousands for ministry. It all began when one was faithful to introduce another to Christ, a Sunday school teacher. A Sunday school teacher. said he was timid and soft-spoken. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're timid and soft-spoken. But God doesn't give you a way out of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single person is called by the great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the end of the age. That is a... That is the great commission for every single one of us who have called on Jesus as Lord and Savior. That is our mission, the great commission. 
So we see that Andrew, Andrew was called. And Andrew went and found his brother there in verse 41. He found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Andrew also saw the value in insignificant gifts. You know, some people see the big picture more clearly just because they appreciate the value of small things. They see the value of small things. In the feeding of the 5,000 account, Philip's vision was overwhelmed by the size of the need. Sometimes we get overwhelmed. And before I start into that a little bit, I, I want to tell you, people have asked me, you know, Blake, what about New Prospect? I say, listen, we're sharing the gospel. I'm training them how to share the gospel. I thought I'd put my band on this morning, but I didn't. But I've trained them in the gospel bands. I've trained them in, in three circles. I've trained them how to share the gospel. Many of y'all been in this church for a long time. You've probably been trained in faith, EE, all this other kind of stuff from pastors that have come in the past. Hopefully you have. But the most important thing that you have is a testimony. If you ain't got a testimony, you ain't been saved. I shouldn't have to train everybody in how to share the gospel. God has saved you. If he has saved you, he saved you with a grace that says, this is your story. This is your story. And from your story, your story may be similar to someone else's beginning story, but ain't done yet because Christ ain't done with them yet. They've only got half the story, but you got the whole story of what Christ could do with someone who is lost and without Christ. And you're the one. This speaks to the one so that they may meet the one. But are you going to do it? Are we going to do it? Are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be timid and scared? We can't be that. We, we have got to see that even in the little things, in the little things, we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. And when we see a need, we need to meet it. Look, look here. Andrew had this, had this vision. He had this heart. He saw the value of insignificant gifts. But Philip, Philip was like, I, I, I don't know how that's going to work. In John 6, 8, 9, there's a boy here is what Philip says. Andrew's brought him, but Philip speaks to Jesus. And he says, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many? Oh, goodness, what are we going to do? This ain't much, but little is much when God is in it. You've heard that said before, haven't you? Little is much when God is in it. And Andrew knew. He's like, listen, I've seen Jesus do some miraculous things. This, he can handle this. He can handle it. Let's just bring him to him. Philip's like, I don't know. He's the realist in this situation. He's like, this is, for real, though, this is not much food, Jesus. This ain't much food. And Andrew's like, hush, hush, hush. Have you seen what he did with my brother? He was a problem, you know? And we know that later on, right? He had a loud mouth, and God taught him how to use that to, to his glory. <laughs> God used a lot of loud mouths to his glory. Most of them are in pulpits on Sundays. So he, he knows how to use people, and he knows how to use the little and insignificant. But no gift is insignificant in the hands of Jesus. John 21, 1 through 4. Scripture tells us this. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. 
For all these out of their abundance had put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Little is much when God is in it. And it's also little is much when your heart is in it. When your heart is right. God loves a cheerful giver. And, and people say, I don't believe the tithe is a New Testament. I don't believe the tithe is a New Testament command. I'm going to tell you something. If you truly know what Christ did for you, a tithe is not enough. A tenth is not enough when you really think about what Christ has done for you. God knows how to take those insignificant little gifts and make much out of them. You may say, I ain't got much to give right now. We're struggling. Inflation's bad. Trust me, I know. Trust me, I know. I got kids in college and, 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 and it's expensive. But little is much, but God is in it. But I want to tell you this. If you withhold from God, listen, you're withholding a blessing from your own self. We have got to give the things to God. This little boy, he could have been like, this is for my family. This is all we got. This is all we got. But Jesus says, pump the brakes, little man. It's going to be all right. You know the story. After they fed everybody with this little bit of fish and bread, they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. That was more than what they came with. Hold up, little man. It's going to be okay. Jesus has got you. And it may be tough for the moment. You got to give it up a little bit. But God says, hang on. I got something for you. Hang on. I got something for you. He knew the value. And God's ability to use a gift is in no way hindered or enhanced by the size of the gift. It's the gift. It's the heart of the giver. It's the, it's the heart of the one who can use the gift. It is the sacrificial faithfulness of the giver, not the size of the gift, that is the true measure of the gift's significance. It's not the greatness of the gift that counts, but rather greatness of the God to whom it is given. It is the greatness of the God to whom it is given. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 illustrates the way God works. He takes the sacrificial and often seemingly insignificant gifts of people who give faithfully and he multiplies them to accomplish monumental things. Andrew saw it. Andrew knew Jesus could do anything. He knew that through Christ all things are possible, but apart from him nothing is possible. That was a, Some of that was... Part of that's Philippians. Part of that's what we read this morning in Sunday school in John. We know apart from Christ, we can do nothing. If you abide in the branch, if you abide in the vine and he in you, then there's nothing that you can't do. There's nothing he can't do through you. But if you disconnect yourself, if you choose to not obey his commands and be faithful, yeah, you're not going to be able to do those things. But if you give and you obey and you're faithful, God's going to take care of it. There's different seasons. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning. The pruning, the discipling. There's different seasons. But, but we have to understand that God has something great. And he can use the little that you have. He can use it. Whatever it may be at the moment. Some people can give, give abundantly. Some people can give in, in a small portion. And as we, as, uh, I, I've had someone speak to me and, and talk about the challenges of finances right now. And I understand, man, there's times we go through hardships where, where money's tight, man. Inflation is, ex, is expensive right now. I mean, when eggs get up to be about six bucks a carton, that's insane. That's crazy. 
I mean, I remember paying 90-something cents back during COVID, and it's six, six, almost seven bucks. Wow. Milk was pretty inexpensive. Now it's jumped back up to four, five dollars a gallon. Listen, I understand. Money's tight. But gift isn't, gifts aren't always financial either. Gifts are also saying, I'm willing to volunteer. I'm willing to be used by God to do this or that. And we need some of that right now, guys. We need some of that. For two months, I, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to say this right here. For two months, I pleaded, pleaded for somebody to teach on Wednesday nights our adults. Because I needed somebody to teach our youth. Because we didn't have a youth teacher. And look around the room. We need youth in this church. And we didn't have a teacher. And I said, I'm going to pick up that mantle. Because we ain't got a teacher. And I pleaded and begged and pleaded and begged. And one week, and, and I had one person volunteer. And that was about two and a half weeks ago. And then I had another come in about a week ago. And then I had someone else speak to me this week. Still really need one more just in case for the fifth Wednesday, if we have a fifth Wednesday. And I don't care. Listen, I, at this point, it doesn't matter to me if it's men or women. If you love Jesus and you love the Word of God, I'm looking for somebody to teach. Because I'm going to teach our students. I'm not leaving them hanging. I'm not leaving them hanging. If we want a future in this church, it's got to start. Breaks my heart the way this is working out. Breaks my heart. I've, I've had restless sleep, been frustrated, angry. We got to have people volunteer. We got to have people that want this church to grow and stay here and love the Lord here. Man, that's been on my heart for a long time. Finally got it out. Listen, we gotta have we we gotta love God. We've gotta love God. We've gotta we gotta serve Him. We gotta serve Him. Andrew saw the value of inconspicuous service. It ain't about look and, and look. I'm not telling you all this because I want your attention. I don't want your attention. I was trying to do this smoothly behind the scenes and do all that and just kind of pick up the mantle where it needed to be picked up. That's that's, that's what I that's what I wanted to do. And just gradually just smooth into that. You know what I mean? I love teenagers. I have for years. And I'm not saying anybody else in this church does it. Because I know they do. I've seen it. I've seen the commitment from many. But I'm just telling you. Just look around. Look around the room. Andrew saw the value of inconspicuous service. Andrew is a picture of all those who labor quietly in humble places. Ephesians 6.6 6 says, Our service to the Lord should not be with eye service as men pleasers or people pleasers, but as a bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Andrew did not mind being hidden as long as the work was being done. He was a leader with a servant's heart. Andrew never preached to multitudes or founded any churches. In our church, you don't have to be on this stage. You don't have to be before class to be used mildly by the Lord. You don't have to be. You know, many of you are prayer warriors. I talked to Miss Dorothy Burton on the phone earlier this week. And, uh, man, she's a prayer warrior. Man, she gets after it. 
grateful for her prayers because I need them. I need them. And I know y'all need them. I know many of y'all call, y'all check on people. I am grateful for that. Because a lot of times my week is busy. I mean, it's busy. I'm preparing to teach on Wednesday night. I'm preparing to teach for Sunday school. Preparing to teach for a sermon. Preparing to teach for BCM on Wednesdays. I'm preparing a lot. You know what I'm saying? And then we're dealing with administrative things and trying to uh, work on budgets and, and finances and being good stewards of the money of this church. Listen, there's, there's a lot of things going on. You know, people, people used to always say, one of my pastors used to always say, people say the pastor only works one day a week. <laughs> I'm working at the house. Y'all may not realize I'm sitting on my couch designing logos and making promotions. Hey, this is coming up in a few weeks, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly doing something. Trying to, anyway. Last night when I got home, Julie was like, Julie said something, and I was like, look, I just want to put my feet up and rest for a little bit. This has been a busy week, busy week. This next week's going to be a busy week, too. I've got to figure out how we're going to lay out this sanctuary for the Tenebrae service, and, and, and you know, I want to make sure that everybody who's involved in that knows what's going on. I don't want to leave anybody in the dark. I mean, well, sort of. <laughs> but the service ends. But anyway, um, I don't want to people not to understand how things are supposed to flow, you know. And delegation, I'm going to tell you right now, I told them that when they interviewed, delegation is not one of my, my strengths, okay? So if I'm delegating, man, the Lord's really working on me. <laughs> the Lord's really working on me. But I'm just telling you, it's, there's, there's a lot going into this. In, in, in the Lord, I, I think about like, I mentioned Brother Tommy when uh, Brother Charles was having his surgery. He's a deacon that loves his church family. I didn't ask Tommy to come up there and be with Brother Charles before he had his surgery to pray, but Brother Tommy showed up. Let me tell you what a good deacon does. That. That. It's not just the pastor's responsibility when someone has a surgery. We've got a deacon's ministry list, and if you can be there, you try to be there, give them a call. If you, if you know you can't get up that early or whatever, you can't be there, call them on the day of, the evening before, pray with them. You know what I mean? That's, that's what a deacon does. I think we've got good deacons. I think they've got the right mindset of what a deacon's supposed to do. Deacon's not the, the controlling power of the church. They're the servants of the church. And I, I see that. We've got that heart in our deacons here. But I was, I was, I was, it really encouraged me when I saw Brother Tommy there. inconspicuous service I know some of you take food that are shut-ins I'm not gonna name names on that because you're doing it kind of inconspicuously uh, and and they they get together they get their money they buy the food they go deliver that because God's given them that ministry some of the ladies of our church I didn't need to know about that just praise God they're doing it you find out about people doing stuff like that and that's okay. The pastor don't have to know about good ministry things that are happening. You know what I mean? I like, I like to commend them for the work they're doing. You know? But I'm just telling you, inconspicuous service is valued in the eyes of the Lord. And this is, as we talk about Andrew in this service that he gives, you know, this is, for us to see this, to be these prayer warriors, is the ones I've just mentioned. This is the spirit of Christ from the model of Andrew. 
And Andrew did these things because he had a heart for Christ and for the things of Christ, and that's the redemption of mankind. And Andrew could be humble in the work he did through the power of Christ. Nowhere do we find Andrew vying for popularity or his name being made known. To Andrew, the most important thing was to make the name of Jesus known. It was to make the name of Jesus known. And that's what God's called us to do. Make the name of Jesus known. And you may say, well, people know Jesus' name. Maybe not intimately and personally. The saving power that comes through the name and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, tradition has it that Andrew took the gospel into Russia. Possibly even Scotland. He was ultimately crucified in Achaia, which is in southern Greece near Athens. One account says he led a wife of a provincial Roman governor to Christ and that it infuriated her husband. He demanded that his wife recant her devotion to Jesus, but she refused. So the governor had Andrew crucified, and Andrew was lashed to the cross instead of nailed in order to prolong his suffering. Tradition says it was an X-shaped cross. Most accounts say he hung on the cross for two days, exhorting passers-by to turn to Christ for salvation. Even in his final moments of life, he was compelling people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Where are we? Where are we? Are we compelling people to come to faith in Jesus Christ?